There was a man in the Bible, you know something about him. We've begun to read his story in John chapter 9. He had quite a story to tell. Imagine being blind from birth, and then at a certain point, you have sight. You've not seen color or texture or anything like that, shapes, nothing. You've made your way by touch and by hearing and all the rest, but this very valuable and important sense which connects you with your world has been missing from the time of your birth. And then all of a sudden, you regain your sight, and it was an exceptional miracle. And this particular man, he's introduced to us in John chapter 9. What a story he had to tell. How do you contain something like this? Well, he couldn't, and so he went back home. And now he didn't need to be guided home. He could see for himself. And there he went. I'll bet he couldn't wait to reveal to his family members and his neighbors what had happened to him. And this he did. And now we pick up in John chapter 9, and I'd like to show you how people reacted to his story. I'd like to show you what happened. So we'll begin in John chapter 9, verse 13 tonight. Here's what it says. They, his neighbors, brought to the Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders, him whom formerly was blind. And now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. You remember the Lord Jesus was in the temple area. This blind man was there deposited to beg for alms. What else could be expected in that day from a blind man? And the Lord Jesus did not pass him by. He paused and told him in an unusual way what to do. The Lord mixed together mud and spit and made it kind of a clay-like substance, applied it to the man's eyes, and told him to go cleanse himself in the pool of Siloam. And the man did, had to be by faith, because this didn't make much sense, does it? Drying clay on your already closed eyes. Nonetheless, uh, the man was moved to place his faith, his confidence in this very unusual rabbi Jesus. He went to the pool of Siloam, did as he was instructed, and regained his sight. And John sees fit here in verse 14 to tell us all this took place, not on a Tuesday or Wednesday, not on a Sunday, but on the Sabbath. And you wonder why it was so important from John's perspective for us to know this. Well, let me just venture some guesses. The Sabbath, as you know, was quite important in that day and in this day. It's of God and it was given to man. It was to be a day separated for worship and for rest. Now, the rabbis in the day were so concerned about protecting the sanctity of the Sabbath, making sure that its uh, strictures were not violated, they added to God's requirements a truckload of man-made requirements, which had the effect not of protecting the holiness of the day, but for making what was intended to be a blessing nothing but a religious burden. And so the Lord knew full well when he healed this man on this particular day, he knew it would put him in direct opposition and conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. And you might say, Lord, I know you're busy, and so you lost track of the time. It's Saturday. Couldn't you wait for Sunday to pull this off? Well, he didn't lose track of the time. This was with purpose. He deliberately put himself in the face of religious opposition because he came to provide for us 
wonderful direct access and a personal relationship, and he was repulsed by man-made religious distractions, obstacles, and burdens which keep us from direct access to a Savior and a Messiah. And so he deliberately did this on this particular Sabbath. And it says in verse 15, again, therefore, the Pharisees also were asking him, the blind man, how he received his sight. They had done this before. They're interrogating him again. He said to them, he, that's the Lord Jesus, applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Folks, the man was a witness for Christ. A witness is someone who tells others what Jesus has done for them and what he's willing to do for them. That's what a witness is. This man is a witness. And whenever you, as a witness, share your story, it will always elicit a response, although not always a good one. Take a look, verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God. This Jesus is not from God, you see, because he does not keep the Sabbath. By the way, the Lord did not violate the Sabbath. The Lord refused to comply with rabbinical man-made additions to the Sabbath. But anyway, they accuse him of violating the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And so there was a division among them. You know, when you tell your story, that's what happens. People weigh in on different sides of the matter. And so in verse 17, they said, therefore, to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Now, folks, uh, soon this man will come to the conclusion that this unusual Jesus is much more than a prophet, but at this point, he attributes to him the highest accolade he possibly can. First, he saw him to be a rather ordinary man. Now he sees him to be in the line of the prophets. He's divinely authentic and sent by divine ordination to be a spokesman for God. That's essentially what he is saying about the Lord Jesus here. And so verse 18, the Jews, therefore did not believe it of him that he had been blind. Can you imagine that? See, he sees now. And they just can't buy into the fact that the Lord Jesus had, had done this, so they explained it away. They did not believe it of him that he had been born blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind, then, then, then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son, I hope so, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Listen to what they say, ask him, he is of age, he shall speak for himself. And you know why they said that? Well, you don't have to guess, we're told in verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, that means the Messiah, he should be put out of the synagogue. Now, that may not mean much to us today, but this form of excommunication in that day 
was a very weighty thing. If the rabbis determined that one was to be put out of the synagogue, it in effect meant that one was to be separated from the community. In fact, if the rabbis put someone out of the synagogue, you could not conduct business or have any interaction with that excommunicated one. So this was a horrifying possibility, hence the man's parents said what they did. And so in verse 23, for this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And so a second time, they called to the man who had been blind and said to him, give God the glory. You know what they're saying there? Come on, tell the truth. They didn't think he was. So they're essentially saying, tell the truth. We know that this man, this Jesus, is a sinner. He therefore answered, whether he is a sinner, I, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Folks, that was his story. He was not very theologically astute. He couldn't weigh in on the deeper matters of the faith. But one undeniable recognition he proudly proclaimed was this. Once I was blind, and now I see. This was his testimony. This is his story. Folks, people can dispute your story, but nobody can deny your story. That's how important it is. The man's story was undeniable. He, in effect, was saying, I don't have answers to all of your questions. I don't know everything. But one thing for certain I do know, whereas once I was blind, now I see. Folks, as with this man, so too with those of us here who are Christians, people may respond negatively to our story, but they can never, ever deny it. Once I was in my sin, but now I am free. Once I was lost, but now I'm saved. Once I was apart from God, but now I have a close relationship with him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Once I was blind. Don't you see? This is our story. Now I see. Don't be reluctant to share it. Your story is the only hopeful story available to people near you today. There is no hope. The world is becoming increasingly hopeless, but we're, we don't lose hope. We have a hopeful story of the possibility of forgiveness and pardon and adoption and reconciliation with transcendent deity through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, you and I have got to stop withholding the riches of our story. We have got to somehow summon up a measure of boldness and tell an increasingly dark and desperate world what Jesus has done for us and what he's willing to do for them. Now, verse 26, they said, therefore, to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, look, I told you already. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Listen to this. You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Oh, I love this guy. That's some Jewish sarcasm right there. Man, I love that. Folks, I got to tell you, uh, he is really really quite bold in expressing his story in the face of very hostile Jewish religious leaders. I don't think he had boldness as an inherent character quality. I'm not sure any of us do. 
But somehow in the process of doing what God wants us to do, he will give us boldness. This has happened to me as it happened to you. You have an opportunity to share your faith with someone, and you're really hesitant and reluctant, and somehow you manage to utter the first word or two, and then that's all it takes, and then there's a flow, and then you emerge from the conversation, regardless of the person's response to you, and you are exhilarated because you are smack dab in the center of the will of Almighty God, who has bequeathed to us the privilege of being his ambassadors. We are never, ever more in the center of God's will than when we are telling people uh, our story about what Jesus has done for us. And so this man was... uh, given, I think, by Almighty God, a measure of boldness he did not inherently possess. And the antagonistic Jewish religious leaders, they had been interrogating him rather fiercely, and now he boldly interrogates them, which uh, led me to this. A very fitting thing to do at certain points in your gospel conversation with folks is to put questions of them so that it becomes a dialogue about the gospel, not just a monologue. And so questions like, you have now heard my story, what do you think? That's a good way to engage the listener. You have just spoken truth, but you want the listener to interact with it. Do so with clever questions like, You've heard from me about who I think Jesus is. It's not very difficult. You say, who do you think Jesus is? And you could say, I've just had the privilege of sharing with you the time in my life when I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. You know what you could say? What keeps you from accepting him as your Savior? So first you want to declare the truth But then you want to ask questions of the listener to make sure the listener is engaged by the truth. So uh, just to give you some more samples, you can start out with a very brief declaration of truth. Something comes to mind now. How about this? Hey, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was when I realized that God was willing to forgive All my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. Folks, I bet that didn't take more than a minute. It's only 40 words. Boom! You just declared the truth. Now, when you're finished, you're not finished. Then you say, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Does this make sense to you? I just told you. I recognized at a time that I was a sinner and in need of forgiveness. What do you say about yourself? Do you believe you have sinned against Almighty God? There was a time, you could say, when I realized what Jesus had done for me. Do you realize what he has done for you? So the 40 words is just the beginning point. And then the next thing after the declaration is an interrogation. Turn it back on the person Ask them questions to make them give a response. Don't let them be neutral about the most potent and powerful message of all time, the gospel, the power of God for salvation. State the truth, and then through questions, get the person to think about the truth. Folks, you can do all that in two or three minutes. And then 
after having done that, we have to realize, sadly, that telling people about the Lord Jesus does not always beget the right response from them. For instance, take a look now at verse 28. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. I want to tell you uh, the significance of what they said. They just, in that declaration, brought condemnation on themselves. They just sealed the case against them. Guilty as charged. You are a disciple of this Jesus, but we are disciples of Moses. They just provided all the evidence needed for them to be entirely accused and found guilty of rejection of Almighty God. How do I know this? Well, a long time ago, we read this in John chapter 5, verse 45. Uh, the Lord says this, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. What's behind this? Well, the law of Moses is very good. What a gift given a particular people group on Mount Sinai. Moses, the privileged carrier of these Ten Commandments engraved on tablets, was commissioned to bring this marvelous divine law to the people of Israel. There's nothing wrong with the law. It emanates from God. It's wonderful. But the violation of this very law of Moses by those claiming to be his disciples is what will convict them. For at many times in the lives even of these Jewish religious leaders, when the law said don't, they did. And when the Lord law said do, they didn't. And you see, the law of Moses convicted them of their own sin. In fact, that's the very purpose of the law of Moses. It is to point out our sin. It couldn't remove it, but it certainly could point it out. And so in this sense, the law of Moses is more like a mirror than a bar of soap. It only points out our violation. It can't do a thing about it. The law of Moses is meant to persuade us of our sin, but the grace of the Lord Jesus is meant to provide forgiveness for our sin. Hence, it says in John chapter 1, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Folks, let's be simple. Better to be a disciple of Jesus than to be a disciple of Moses. Don't make the mistake. One of my favorite songs is, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Not the law of Moses. There's nothing wrong with it. There's plenty wrong with me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Better to be a follower of him than a follower of Moses. Now in verse 29, it goes on. We know, they say, that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. Folks, if they had believed, they say the disciples of Moses, but if they had believed the writings of Moses, they would have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. How do I know this? John chapter 5, verse 46. 
the Lord says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. By the way, that's the key to understanding the Old Testament. Look for Jesus in it. And so it goes on in verse 30. The man answered and said to them, look how bold he's getting. Well, here is an amazing thing. That you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. What's he saying? Folks, Moses never healed a blind man. In the midst of this whole situation is the unique miracle worker, Jesus. No miracle like this had ever taken place in the Old Testament. It only took place when Jesus was on the scene, and this was a clear sign of his Messiahship as prophesied by Isaiah. In the time of Messiah, the blind will receive their sight. And this man is saying, you, the religious leaders of Israel, claim not to know about him and his origins, and yet he healed me. I know what he's like and who he is. Who else would have the power to do what he has done for me? That's what he says. Now they go on. We know, verse 31, that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing, actually, this is the man's words, and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? And they put him out. You know, one time years ago, I had a meeting with an Orthodox rabbi. I was a fairly new believer, and he caught wind of it. He was a rabbi our family knew of, and he knew us and all the rest. And he called me into his office to persuade me uh, out of the faith, so to speak. And we had a discussion about things, and I made recourse to the Bible um, and uh, Old Testament that he would be comfortable in and all the rest. And at a certain point, I realized when he was confronted with truth, not mine, God's, and could not dispute it, he changed the direction and attacked me. You see, if you can't deal with the truth, then the next best thing is to, to attack the one who's declaring truth. By the way, it happens in courts of law every day. In fact, one person wrote, when you have no case, abuse the plaintiff. It's called an ad hominem, Latin, ad hominem, to the man. When the man's message cannot be denied and disputed, attack the man. If that happens to you in the course of witnessing, please don't take it personally. It's not about you at all. It's the truth that's really getting to folks, and they are resisting it, at least at that particular time. So here they turn against the man, and they say to him, you were born entirely in sins. And by the way, they are absolutely right. He was born in sin, but here's what they missed. Though he was born in sin, he will not die in his sin. Will you? You ought to be able to answer that question. If you asked me, I'm not bragging or any, any way, shape, or form. If you say, Stuart, when you die, you're going to die in the atmosphere of yours. You're going to die still having to pay the penalty of your sin. I would say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why not? Because the justifiable full wrath of a holy God do me was poured out on the shoulders of his own son on the cross. And there's an option. You either penalty, pay the penalty for your own sin or you trust God 
to handle the penalty for you through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus. Folks, don't make it so complicated. It's not so complicated. You either stand before God on your own so-called merits, or you stand before the Father, boldly, peacefully proclaiming, I stand on the merits of your son, his righteousness, his right standing with you is imputed to my horrific account. I'd be a debtor, but for the assets imputed to my account. Your only begotten Son, with whom you are well pleased, is my personal Savior. And the Father says, I have no case against you. My wrath has already been fully outpoured on my Son. Well, this man was born in sin, but no, he'll not die in sin. Now here's what happens, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out. They put him out of the synagogue. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, I want to ask you a question. I'm just curious. How many people have a Bible that says Son of Man here? Could you raise your hand? I'm just curious. There you go. How many people have a translation that says Son of God? Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, maybe an equal number. Uh, why is it different? That's a whole big discussion, and we're not going into it. I'm going to tell you why. It's not the point. I don't want... I don't want I don't want us to get distracted. It's not the point. Here's the point. A man was once blind. Now he sees. And Jesus is the one to whom we can attribute this particular miracle. So that's a discussion for another time after the rapture. So, so verse 36. He answered and said, Who is he? He's the Lord. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Or do you believe in the Son of God? And the man answered and said, And who is he? Lord, that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Lord, I believe. That's what it takes. That's all it takes. Lord, I believe. That what you did, you did for me. For all of my sins, past, present, and future. And when you really believe what you said you believe, you become a worshiper of the one who forgave you. You worship him. You worship him privately and personally, and you worship him corporately. You don't say, oh, man, it's Sunday. I got to get up and go to church. Come on. You're a worshiper. You're a praiser. Do you know you can't praise God privately? Did you know that? You can pray privately, but praise by definition is a public expression of your esteem for Almighty God. We praise Him in song. We praise Him in word. We praise Him in our fellowship. People who say, I don't have to go to church. Yes, you do if you're a worshiper. You can't praise Him in isolation from a community of other believers. People have to hear your praise. They have to see your praiseworthy life. You know, once I realized this, it didn't matter to me whether I like the people I'm going to church with. That's just an option. If that happens from time to time, that's just icing on the cake. That's a bonus. But it really didn't have a thing to do with them. Lord, I, be I don't believe in them. Lord, I believe in you. And now I'm a worshiper. And these other people are worshipers as well, and we're just going to do it. And we've got to stop looking at one another and look up. Worshipers, look up. They don't look side to side. Look how this one is dressed. Look at this one. Do you mind me saying, Who cares? 
So, so the man says, Lord, I believe. It makes me weep, I'll tell you this, because I remember saying those three words like it was yesterday. Lord, I believe. Now, we could have a lot of discussions today about how all that happens, what's God's role, what's our role. I happen to like the discussion, but I refuse. I refuse to fill in blanks the Lord has deliberately left. I don't know how it all works out. All I know is Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost, and I was one of them, and by faith, I was saved. Now, we have churches dividing over the nature of salvation, and the evil one laughs at us. He's having a good time while our churches are dividing. Why can't we just bow before Almighty God and say your ways are incomprehensible? But one thing I know, once I was blind, now I see. Why can't we just say that? Lord, I believe, and he worshiped me. Please notice the progression in the man's faith in his perception of Jesus. First, he saw him merely as an ordinary man in verse 11. Then he realized he was a prophet in verse 17. And now he's worshiping him, him as Lord in verse 38. Now, in closing, I think most people come away from John chapter 9 enamored by the sensational nature of the miracle, as we ought to be. I'm telling you, this was not commonplace. It was an exception to the rule. A man with congenital blindness now is able to see, and the pronouncement of it all was due to this Lord Jesus. We ought to be enamored by it and, and astonished by it, but I don't think it's the premier miracle in this text. There was this physical miracle. The Lord opened the man's eyes. But what about the spiritual miracle? The Lord opened this man's heart. John chapter 9 is about a double miracle. And I don't think the essence of the chapter is the physical miracle. If that's where you stop, you're missing it. I think the Lord performed this physical miracle, this miracle of healing, so as to demonstrate to the people in the day, and us today, that we could confidently believe this Jesus who has the capacity to give sight to the blind, surely he has the capacity to forgive my sins. Don't you see? The physical work authenticates the words of the Lord Jesus. Here are the words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here are the words. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life. Folks, if you are a Christian, you are a recipient of this magnificent miracle of regeneration. You could say in a spiritual sense, which is really the ultimate reality. Once I was spiritually blind, but now I see. Now listen, if you have that story, could I reiterate what we saw in the video a few moments ago? Three things. Would you prepare it? Work on preparing it. Write it out, scribble, change it, prepare it. Second, practice it. Stand in front of a mirror, uh, share it with your dog or cat, who knows what. Prepare it, practice it, and then ask God to give you the will to proclaim it. I guarantee I'm speaking as one of you. Boldness comes, not before the fact. Why should God give boldness to one of us not even willing to tell our story? It's in the process of doing so. You find yourself, this has happened to me. I just feel like I'm taken, like the Lord takes over, like his spirit takes over. 
So, so once again, if you have a story to tell, a story of what the Lord Jesus has done, three things, prepare it, practice it so that you can share it in two to three minutes, and then ask God to give you eyes to see the opportunities to proclaim it. This Sunday we're going out, Project 48, a few hundred of us. We want to extend physical helps to people, see how they're doing post uh, Harvey, see how we could help them physically thereafter. But I hope we who go out, I hope we're bold enough to start the process and say, by the way, we've spoken about your physical needs. They're very real. They're quite overwhelming. Could I share with you the greatest thing that ever happened to me? 40 words. And then you end with a question. What do you think? I don't want to minimize the destructive nature of the storm and all that you're going through. But even a worse tragedy would be apart from the God who made you throughout eternity. Have you ever thought about how to be right with him? I hope the 200 of us who go out, no, we're not going out as the Peace Corps or whatever it is. We're going out as ambassadors for Christ. And if you're not able to go out this Sunday with us, would you be praying? that God would help us to be prepared to tell our story, having practiced telling our story, and then proclaiming it in two minutes or less to those who are in our community. And by the way, what's your story? Do you mind me telling you mine is really a joyous story? I didn't say life is easy. In fact, I'm finding as a Christian, things are getting harder uh, for me as a Christian. In many respects, they just are. But the joy is undiminished. And the peace is undiminished. These are supernatural qualities. My story is so rejoicing and exhilarating to me. I was blind once. I didn't see things. Now I see. I see that I have a sin nature. It's part of who I am. I cannot, by doing the law of Moses or anyone else's laws, make myself right with a perfectly holy God and Jesus absolved me of that responsibility. He said, I fulfill the law for you. Will you accept the fullness of my sacrifice for you? I tell people, I, I see my nature and I, I see the love and graciousness of the Savior uh, to have suffered and died in my behalf. And by the way, I know the end of my story. Do you know the end of yours? Another one of my favorite songs is Victory in Jesus. I don't know what will happen until that ultimate triumph and victory. I really don't know. I, Lots of things happen to us, hurtful things, tragic things happen even to Christians today, but, but, I, but I know the end of the story. You know, one day I'm going to see my Savior face to face. Do you know that? I think this guy who was born blind is going to be there too. I got so many questions. How do you feel about like the clay stuff when the Lord, I mean, I just want, I have so many questions. I need like an eternity. Oh yeah, that's it. We get an eternity to feast on and with the Lord Jesus. I'm invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you kidding me? You like to eat? I like to eat. Oh, my goodness. I know the end of my story. I don't know what transpires before then. Christians are not immune to terrible medical diagnoses, loss of loved ones, and all the rest. I understand all that. And it matters, but not that much. Because the Lord is so good, told us the end from the beginning. It's going to be victory in Jesus. Now, that's my story. What's yours? Does yours 
Is yours an unhappy story? Is it a, is it a story of despair and darkness? What's up? Is your story one of disconnectedness and purposelessness? I must tell you, not a one here is better than you, but many of us here have found a better way. We would love to tell you our story. And so therefore, I, I want to invite you before we take leave of one another, after our pastor speaks to us tonight, would you be willing to make your way? We have a beautiful room right behind the room we're seated in. We call it the Connection Center. Great people will be there just to hear what's going on with you, hear your heart, and pray with you. And you may leave that room in an entirely different way. My beloved sister right there, who was baptized tonight, went into that room on Sunday and became persuaded, just this Sunday, that the Lord Jesus would have her do what she did in the baptismal waters. Maybe you're at a point of decision, need a little clarification and help in making it. We'll have folks back there waiting for you uh, to meet with you and pray with you. Lord Jesus, thank you for everything. You are really, really, really smart. Oh God, the way you use this episode with this blind man to teach ultimate spiritual truths. It would have been enough, I think, if you just gave him sight, but you wanted to give him much more than that. You gave him eyes to see you as Lord, whom now he worships throughout eternity. This you've done for many of us as well. Perish the thought that we would ever take credit for it, boast in anything we possess. But oh God, to brag on you and to boast in the cross, oh, I think we have permission to do that. Thank you for giving us a story to tell. It's simple. Once I was blind, now I see. And I pray there be not one spiritually blind person here tonight who leaves in that state of affairs. As you minister to that blind man, would you minister as only you can to blind ones here tonight, that each would leave tonight saying, once I was blind, now I see. Once I didn't know, I didn't believe. Now I believe you, Lord, and I will worship you forever. This is our prayer, and I know this is your heart's desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.